Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Wednesday, August 24th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the New York tri-state area. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Isabel Danzis. Here are today's headlines. Yesterday was primary day in New York, and the results are in for many big races. We were watching two key races for the Democrats in New York's 10th and 12th districts. Yeah, Isabel. Jerry Nadler defeated the District 12 incumbent, Carolyn Maloney. Because of redistricting, Nadler and Maloney ended up running against each other in the newly drawn 12th district. Nadler and Maloney have both been serving their constituents for 30 years and had high-profile positions in the House. It was unclear which way the race would go, and it was a tough loss for Maloney. There were a couple of other big names from last night. Daniel Goldman came out on top in District 10. He's a former federal prosecutor known around New York for his work taking down organized crime. Goldman was running against Mondaire Jones, who was the progressive candidate. And District 10 wasn't the only place to see a progressive lose to a centrist. Absolutely. Sean Patrick Maloney held on to his seat over Alessandro Biaggi in District 17. Maloney's campaign actually relied on the idea that his district needed a moderate to win in November. That was the general theme of these elections. Moderates really won over progressives, which may signal a shift in some of these districts. And it may also set the tone for New York politics going forward. Over in Washington, President Biden is expected to make good on one of his big campaign promises. According to four sources close to the president that spoke with the New York Times, President Biden will be canceling up to $10,000 of student loan debt for people who make less than $125,000 a year. He's also expected to extend the loan moratorium for borrowers until the end of the year. That freeze was set to expire at the end of August. And for Pell Grant recipients, $20,000 of debt will be lifted. But the plan is most likely going to be challenged in court. But if it passes, it'll provide relief to 43 million Americans who owe $1.6 trillion, with a T, dollars in student loans. For some people, that'll provide immediate relief. According to federal data, almost a third of Americans owe less than the ten grand of relief Biden is proposing. Today, the city's taxi drivers took to the streets. They rallied outside the governor's office in Manhattan. They want taxis and other for-hire cars to get exemptions from the proposed congestion pricing plan. That's right, David. The city has proposed a few plans for congestion pricing, but the one that's got them protesting would add a $19 fee on rides below 60th Street. A lot of taxi drivers are worried that the fee would make cabs too expensive for New Yorkers, and they'd be forced out of business. And those fears were confirmed by an August 10th environmental poll that projects a 17% dip in rides if the fee were to go into effect. Congestion pricing isn't a new idea, though. There's already a two fifty surcharge for trips below 96th Street. And that $2.50 has gone a long way. Nearly a billion dollars have been generated in three years. New Yorkers are celebrating Marsha P. Johnson's birthday today. Johnson is a well-known LGBTQ advocate. She's best known as a leader of the Stonewall Riots in 1969. There's a bunch of events around the city today to celebrate. New art is actually being revealed this afternoon in Marsha P. Johnson Park in Williamsburg. The art was unveiled by the New York State Park Commissioner Eric Kulisade and other LGBTQ leaders. They will also be announcing a few updates about the park. The park was renamed in 2020 to honor Johnson's contributions to the gay rights movement. I don't know about you, David, but I definitely have an addict filled with who knows what. Yeah, and I think everyone can relate to having a box full of junk, but most of the time it's worthless. Well, 
That's not the case for Chris Stein. He's a guitarist and co-founder of the band Blondie. Ken Shipley, a producer, recently restored tapes of the band that were found in a box in Stein's barn. The cassettes, reel-to-reel tapes, and other records had 124 tracks on them. That includes 36 unreleased songs. Shipley condensed tapes into a 17-pound box set named Blondie, Against the Odds, 1974 through 1982. The box set has demos, outtakes, and remixed versions of their songs. The new tapes reveal a lot about the band's creative process and the early stages of some of their most popular songs. For one thing, they've definitely gotten more creative with their song titles. You've probably heard the song Heart of Glass. It was actually just called The Disco Song on the demo track. Blondie also wrote 144 pages of commentary for the collection, and it will be available on Friday. Now let's head on over to the world of sports with WFUV's Colin Loughran. So Colin, what did last night's Subway Series finale have in store? The final regular season leg of the Subway Series concluded last night with the Yankees dropping the gavel. They entered yesterday's finale hoping to sweep the Bronx portion of the series against the Mets. Frankie Montes and Taiwan Walker just about matched each other on the bump. Both surrendered two runs and dealt with base runners for a good deal of their starts. Ultimately, the Yanks had just a bit more offense in their bones as Aaron Judge delivered his 48th home run of the year and ripped an RBI single later in the game that put the Bombers up 4-2 and cemented a third straight W. The Judge home run now puts him just 13 away from Roger Maris' Yankees record of 61. I've heard there's some big news in Brooklyn, too. Can you tell us a bit more about that? It was announced yesterday that despite the week's of trade speculation, Kevin Durant will move forward with the Nets and remain on the roster this upcoming season. Kevin Durant is going to rejoin Kyrie Irving and company, but the Nets have not shown any sign that they're about to part with general manager Sean Marks or coach Steve Nash after Durant kvetched about them in the months prior. Apparently the Nets aren't the only basketball team hoping for good fortune. What's the story with the Knicks? Indeed, the Knicks are hoping that the Garden will be eaten this year. Former Louisville basketball head coach and current Iona play caller Rick Pitino recently told the New York Post's Mark Berman that Utah Jazz star Donovan Mitchell would, quote, treasure playing for the Knicks. Pitino coached Donovan Mitchell at Louisville, so New York fans should take the statement as yet another sign that if the young guard gets any say on if and where he may be traded, he'll be wearing orange and blue. Thanks so much, Colin. When you think of black history in New York, you probably think of things like the Great Migration or the Harlem Renaissance. This week, I sat down with Fordham professor Bukhari Sawadogo about his new book that tells the forgotten history of African immigrants in Harlem. Obviously, your book, it is about Harlem. It is about the African people that live in Harlem. What's the story with African immigrants in that time period? Where did they come from and why did they come to Harlem? Uh, my book uh, looks at uh, Africans' uh, immigrants' presence and influence in Harlem from the 80s, the late 80s and early 90s when they start coming en masse uh, to Harlem, you know, until today. At that time, came to Harlem because of the perceived blackness that is associated with Harlem. And others came to Harlem uh, because of um, historical place that Harlem hold in uh, 
you know, in the black world as the center of politics and culture. And that's really going back to the Harlem Renaissance, uh, uh, going also to the 50s and 60s, uh, where we have the convergence of the civil rights movements and the struggle for independence for many African countries. But to go back to the, um, the Harlem Renaissance, we had students who came to uh, Harlem to study. And in Harlem, we have the case of um, Kwame Nkrumah, who would become the first uh, president and prime minister of Ghana. Uh, the same thing for um, Dr. Namdi Azikwe, who would become the first uh, president and also prime minister of uh, Nigeria. And then the 60s and 70s, you have uh, students, you have activists, you have intellectual, you have artists, and also the first wave of uh, Ethiopian immigrant, uh, Ethiopian refugees. What kinds of unique contributions were immigrants in like, especially the 80s and the 90s making to Harlem in that community? Uh, excellent question, because we have maybe to set the scene of Harlem, you know, the 80s and early 90s, because um, we think of Harlem, we think of black culture blossoming, and, and that's true. But also we have to uh, be cognizant of the fact that started after the height of the Harlem Renaissance, after the heights of the civil rights movement, Harlem, you know, basically came, you know, as falling out of fame or out of fashion. So you have a neighborhood by the 80s and early 90s has been neglected, not only in the wider city itself, because the city was going through a, a physical crisis, but also you have um, the crack ep ep epidemic that was ravaging Harlem, which has resulted into property. You have a border buildings in Harlem. And when you have the first African immigrants that start moving into abandoned buildings, so automatically the properties start appreciating in value. They start opening restaurants and they start taxi businesses. Automatically, what was once a kind of dormant and abandoned and neglected neighborhood start to be appealing to people, to residents of Midtown. So in a sense, and I touch this in the book, where I ask uh, African immigrants to be gentrified or be gentrified. So in a one way, it really helped uh, bring uh, some of the last or some of the appeal to Harlem. That was my co-host David Escobar talking with Bukhari Sawadogo about his new book, Africans in Harlem. Fordham Conversations taps into the Fordham University community to discuss issues that impact our world near and far. And that's our show for today. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Isabel Danzis. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.